Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of realeverything.com. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health. Welcome back to The Whole View, episode 446, if we've done our simple math correctly. <laughs> and you know, there's never there's never a guarantee that we have. No. It's surprisingly how hard it is to add one week after week after week. I wouldn't be surprised if we've been off for years. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> there's like no episode 57 and we've been off by one this whole right. time. Exactly. Yeah, no, I was just thinking about how we're approaching 450 and like... Wow, that's that's a lot of shows. So for those of you that have been with us since the beginning, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you for being here. And for those of you who might just be joining us, welcome. Uh, we are going to talk about nutritional deficiencies caused by stress today. And I am going to leave the show um, both overwhelmed with all the things that I need to do and empowered with information and inspired to take action because... <laughs> This show is for me. <laughs> um, actually, this was a really fun one for me to, to to research and pull together because I love when um, a topic that, um, you know, like I feel like I have a fairly good understanding of, but then when I actually start digging into the research, I'm like, oh, there's more and I get to learn. Like this, this was one of those shows for me. So I ended up leaving the research for the show with actionable information too. So I'm also really excited to share all that because it's like super cool and, and actionable. It's empowering knowledge. It's <laughs> when you said super cool, I was like, do. did you just push up your glasses on your nose when you said super cool? <laughs> I might've, I might've my 14 uh, year old has the best. Uh, it's like her nerd voice, but it's like a uh, like cartoon nerd and it's just it's epic and I wish I could do it because I, I really like I really can't whatever the weird speech quirk thing that she takes on for it um but at some point we'll have to have her on the show just to do nerd impersonations I mean she's got a whole family of them to to mimic so oh, goodness I mean, day to day she she can she can rock it out maybe maybe Penny will show up because I have I have many phases of like Penny's voice and emphasis and her opinions of all of us like there's nuance to that and it's disturbing I don't allow anyone outside the house to hear it but Penny do very much has a voice all dog owners narrate their dog's thoughts because I do it I mean are you really a dog owner if you don't narrate <laughs> your dog's voice Oh, so maybe true. maybe we do it for stress relief. Uh, look at that. Look at how I just okay. wrapping it all together. So this week's show is actually a direct follow up to last week. Last week, we sort of summarized um, not just like where supplements might fit into the autoimmune protocol, but like how how we can kind of group them by philosophy in terms of what type of shortfall you might be making up for, what type of situation might call for certain types of supplements. And I had this very sort of uh, throwaway towards the end, we were talking about troubleshooting and very intentionally not getting into detail because troubleshooting is definitely something you want to do with a medical professional and not 
based on that thing you heard from that podcast that time. So we were kind of giving broad overview in, in the, with the goal of like giving you a sense of like what conversations you might have or what type of testing would be worth discussing with your healthcare provider. And one of the things that I sort of mentioned is that there are nutrients that can be depleted during chronic stress, like magnesium and vitamin C. And that actually, uh, it's surprising how many listeners like caught that and went, wait, tell me more. (laughs) And so um, I kind of felt like this was like the perfect opportunity to kind of go right into that conversation. And I I went ahead and was like, oh, we're, we'll, we'll cover this next week, you know, no problem. And then I realized it's actually kind of a big topic. So I think we should dive into it. The great thing is, uh, is that we were able to ask Paleo Valley if they were interested in sponsoring this show because their Essential C Complex is an awesome vitamin C and they agreed, which was so awesome. I'm excited. I am a big vitamin C and magnesium proponent mostly because don't handle stress very well (laughs) um and so I've been taking their vitamin c for a while um I also really like their organ complex which I talked about last week so if you are gonna go um check them out um at paleovalley.com slash the whole view um I would check out that organ complex as well um but that's not today. Today we're talking about the vitamin C <laughs> complex. I'm like, no, but organ meats. No, but but also organ meats. Um, yeah, no, the vitamin C I think is great because it's coming from whole foods, which you've heard us talk about many times before. We try to always get what we can from whole food sources because that's how our body synergistically makes those nutrients most bioavailable for absorption. That's my layman's person. Like that's as detailed and nerdy as I can get, but Sarah, I'm sure you can have more Uh, nerd info. I can get super more nerdy about it. So, um, so we'll actually look at some of the studies showing how, especially bioflavonoids, but like polyphenols as well, like pretty much like all phytonutrients, which is what you're getting when you get vitamin C from a whole food fruit or vegetable source, that they can increase absorption and utilization of that vitamin C anywhere from about 2.5 times to about eight times. So it's a huge effect. So you're basically getting more vitamin C, like better better efficiency in using that vitamin C when you get it from a whole food source. And that's what makes Paleo Valley's Essential C Complex so like unique is it's basically three food sources of vitamin C, unripe acerola cherry, camu camu berry, and amla berry. Um, So you're getting, or first of all, those are all super nutrient dense superfoods. So you're getting vitamins and minerals as well. um, But you're getting those really important, um, especially they're very bioflavonoid rich. So you're, you're getting those phytonutrients that can increase vitamin C bioavailability, which means absorption and utilization, while also avoiding all of the ick that can be in um, commercial vitamin C where you're getting fillers and weird capsule ingredients and, um, you know, synthetic vitamin C derived from GMO corn is fairly common in these supplements. It's not, I mean, they're not all like that, but um, that's why Paleo Valley just stands out. It's, it's a really cleverly 
crafted vitamin C supplement that just delivers a pretty impressive dose of vitamin C all from freeze-dried fruits, basically. So it's, it's really awesome. I have absolutely nothing to add to that other than I like it. And if you want to check it out, you can go to paleovalley.com slash the whole view. And thank you, Paleo Valley, for sponsoring our show, which is entirely selfish. And I am super ready <laughs> sitting here with my blue light glasses on, notes in hand. I'm like, ready, let's go. Sarah, tell me everything I need to know about what my body has been going through, not just this year, <laughs> but the entire mm-hmm. lifetime of absorbing stress. Uh, okay, so let's let's first do a quick review about the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis or the HPA axis. We actually did a deep dive into how stress can negatively impact health in episode 351. So I definitely recommend going back and listening to that episode if you haven't for a while, because that's where we really explained like the health implications of all of these different chemical pathways. But basically what happens is the HPA axis is is a crosstalk between two different regions in the brain and our adrenal glands, which sit on top of our kidneys. And together, it's responsible for the fight or flight response. Basically, it's, it's responsible for how our body not just uh, chemically responds to stress, but behaviorally responds to stress. So the hypothalamus tells the pituitary gland, uh, hey, we've detected some stress. The pituitary gland is a region in the brain that basically acts like um, the middle management of the entire endocrine system. So the pituitary gland basically, it, what its job is to direct all other Um, organs in the body that make hormones and tells them what to do and then reports back to the hypothalamus to be like, yeah, I totally did that thing you told me to do. Um, The adrenal glands, when we are under stress, um, whether that's acute stress or chronic stress, they secrete all of the stress hormones that are part of that chemical response. So cortisol is the most famous, um, but we also secrete things like epinephrine, also known as adrenaline, um, norepinephrine, uh, which is another catecholamine, and also androgen, um, uh, like testosterone, um, sex hormones is another thing that will secrete in response to stress. Then there's a negative feedback loop. So cortisol then goes and tells uh, the pituitary gland and the hypothalamus, like, we got we got the orders that we were going to do stress stuff, and uh, we did it. And so normally that's a, um, a sort of constrained system because it has this negative feedback built in. But what happens in chronic stress is the negative feedback aspect becomes less and less efficient and you end up continuing to produce these, you know, the the adrenaline, the androgens, the cortisol, and those all have like really um, big implications for health. In a normal like act, there's a lion and I need to choose fight or flight. um, What that release of hormones from the adrenal glands does is it helps to prioritize functions that would be related to basic survival. So normally what would happen is we would have um, more uh, energy for perception, for decision-making, for our muscles to run away. Um, We actually have a shift in our immune system where we have inflammatory cells go to our skin that's in preparation for maybe that lion took a small bite out of me and I'm going to need to wound heal at the end. Um, And then non-essential functions, things that are not important in that 
moment of basic survival become inhibited. So what this, you know, like collection of adrenal hormones do, I mean, this is largely driven by cortisol, but also um, the hormone released by the pituitary gland, corticotropin releasing hormone. Um, But the functions that are inhibited are other aspects of the immune system, uh, digestion, kidney function, reproductive functions, growth, collagen formation, uh, amino acid uptake by muscles, which is important for muscle recovery, protein synthesis in general, and bone mineralization. And so in the moment, if you were, if, if your stress was a historical stress, which was always acute stress, um, those things are not important for an hour or a day um, when you're prioritizing biological functions related to survival. Like that is definitely, that makes a lot of sense. Yes, please. I would like to survive the lion. However, in our days now, our bodies can't differentiate, um, the stress of a, um, you know, a bill I can't afford to pay or a traffic jam when I'm late for a meeting. I mean, that's obviously not a current reference or even, um, physical stress, like, a a sitting all day or an unusually vigorous workout, extreme environmental temperatures, loud noises, um, chemical stressors like allergens or tobacco or alcohol, drugs. Our bodies can't differentiate those from each other. We have one, one way of reacting to any kind of stressor, and that's by activating the HPA axis. And what happens in our current lives is there's never a break where the lion's gone and we can recover. So that's what we call chronic stress. And chronic stress is basically, um, it might not be as high a level as the acute stress of a lion, but it never actually goes down to a baseline. And so all of those, what would be non-essential functions in an immediate survival situation are not prioritized ever. So we end up having shifts in the immune function, which can lead to things like cardiovascular disease and diabetes, autoimmune disease. We also um, inhibit things like basic digestion, detoxification. Um, We mess around quite a lot with sex hormones in part because uh, androgen hormones are being secreted by um, the, the adrenal glands during fight or flight response, but also because there's a lot of downstream effects from what's something called the pregnenolone steel, where our, um, our precursors for things like estrogen and progesterone are stolen by our adrenal glands in order to make cortisol. So all of this together is why chronic stress increases risk of depression and anxiety. That's also, there's a direct impact, um, with that negative feedback loop in the brain. That means there's a direct influence on neurotransmitters, I already mentioned cardiovasculars and diabetes, um, also chronic headaches, um, memory problems, digestive problems, infections, poor wound healing. Chronic stress also impacts behaviors that um, can get us into some health problems as well. So we know that, for example, chronic stress will increase food cravings, increase appetite, and also make us more vulnerable to addiction. So all of that together is why chronic stress is is so problematic for lifelong health. And then what we're going to talk about today is this whole added layer of the nutrients that are depleted, right, that are used up in this reaction of producing all of these different stress hormones 
that if we're chronically stressed, basically we're using up those nutrients. So those nutrients can't do their normal jobs in our body. It makes a lot of sense to me. I like the way you explained it too, that like the lion never goes away (laughs) because I think that's something that we can all really relate to, right? Like if you're feeling like just at the end of the day, like you're exhausted, but you can't point to something in particular. Does that make sense? I feel like that's kind of a thing for me is when I, when I get really overwhelmed and I'm not taking the time to actively work on removing the lion, right? So to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, When I am at the end of the day, I'm just like, it feels like I ran a marathon, but I didn't really. Um, And so that's where for me, I am going to lean on a lot of these things that we're going to talk about. But also, you know, I've found that lifestyle factors just end up being so important in terms of um, getting the sleep and all the things that we talked about. Um, I know we're going to talk about nutrients, but I want to just kind of also interject, like, those things are critical for these elements and hormonal repair and all that kind of stuff that your body does, because it literally does that while you sleep. So if you're not getting enough sleep, it can't do it. And it's actually worthwhile sort of pointing our listeners. We talked about anxiety in episode 383 in detail and actually went through the impact of a lot of those different lifestyle factors for anxiety. We also talked about the link between anxiety and foods in episode 303. Um, And we're kind of not going to rehash that in part because we've covered it in depth already. But also anxiety is a consequence of chronic stress. And we want to kind of in this episode... Um, look at that uh, root cause of unmitigated chronic stress as opposed to dealing with the consequences of that thing. Um, so look at what's like what's the earlier step that might you know s- you know snowball of bad into anxiety or depression. And so as we get into this research, some of it still pulls from um, anxiety research because, uh, when you're doing a measurement of self like perceived stress, it's often framed in for the study participants in the context of anxiety. Like if you asked me, are you feeling anxious or are you feeling stressed? I would have a hard time differentiating between those two as two separate emotions. So there is this kind of if you're talking about anxiety but not generalized anxiety disorder, it's basically in the scientific literature synonymous with chronic stress. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and also, I could probably go ahead and listen to that show again. <laughs> I feel like that's something that might be worthwhile for me to do monthly. Okay, I do want to talk about some of the things that we can do to kind of support our bodies nutritionally, though, because that's what we're focusing on here. So, hit me. Why am I taking magnesium every night? <laughs> So this was really interesting to me because I it's it's actually there's two sides of this equation. So um, we're going to start with nutrients that are used up in the stress response. So this has been done actually this has been studied for a really really long time. Um, so that's actually a really interesting things like some of the studies I'm going to be talking about are like pretty old studies and it's just because um, the this type of nutritional science is not 
easy to get funded. Um, but it's also been something that's interested researchers for a really long time. So instead of it being like, oh, yeah, in the last three years, there's like a thousand papers on this, which is often the type of science we're talking about on the show. It's more like there's this like spattering of of scientific studies like sprinkled around over the last few decades. So um, so that's actually kind of an interesting just like side tangent about this as a scientific field. Um, but we're going to start with the two the two biggies, um, which are magnesium and vitamin C that are depleted by the stress response. Um, and then we'll talk about four other nutrients. And then we're going to actually transition to the other side of the equation, which is nutrient deficiencies that magnify the stress response. So if you don't have enough of those nutrients because they're needed for the stress response, they actually can cause this like hyper response. So this like disproportionate response to the lion or whatever the, 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 the argument with your spouse, like whatever that stressor is. So the two nutrients that are not just most depleted by stress, but that there's the, the most robust evidence for are the two that I mentioned last week, magnesium and vitamin C. Magnesium, on average, 68% of Americans aren't consuming the, the recommended daily value, which is um, kind of surprising until you realize that magnesium is very rich in things like leafy green vegetables. So um, this, is a, this is a plug for eating more veggies. Um, we also talked about magnesium. It, magnesium got its whole show in episode 409. So there's another show to go back to and listen to. Um, but magnesium, like the quick... 20,000 foot view is it's actually required as a cofactor for more than 300 different enzymes to work. So because of that, it is involved in like everything. Like it's um, needed for synthesizing adenosine triphosphate the or ATP, the basic energy currency for all cells. Um, it's included for synthesizing DNA and RNA. So it's, um, it's important for cell division. Um, it's also a constituent of bones and teeth. It's actually really important for metabolism of other nutrients, especially phosphorus, calcium, potassium, sodium, all of the B vitamins, vitamin C and vitamin E. And it's also a cofactor in the methylation cycle. So that makes it really important for detoxification functions. There have been a ton of different animal studies showing that serum magnesium concentration, so we basically take a, a blood sample and measure how much magnesium there is in between the blood cells, um, is reduced and urinary magnesium excretion is increased when um, in stress models um, in animal studies. Um, so that shows that magnesium is being taken out of the blood um, and processed really quickly. And so then it's being excreted out of the body and that overall is depleting magnesium stores. Um, there have been a, quite a few human studies that have shown the same thing. So there was um, a 2006 study in uh, university students during uh, their exam week and showed compared to the beginning of the term that they had way higher excretion of magnesium, urinary excretion, um, that correlated really, really well with their feelings of anxiety about their exams. Um, so we've got that kind of stress model. Um, there's also another stress model, a 2000 um, study that was done in um, young, healthy adults, but that lived someplace where there was either um, political intolerance or um, a risk of military attacks. Um, they also looked at military personnel who were on permanent standby duty. So they looked at 
um, these really like big, I live in a unstable area politically um, type stressors and found that chronic stress pretty dramatically decreased um, their um, plasma magnesium and actually total magnesium concentrations. So there was multiple different measurements showing uh, magnesium decreased in that stressful environment compared to uh, health matched and age matched controls living in not such stressful situations. There was a really interesting 2015 study that um, actually simulated a Mars mission. And what they did was they took a six man crew and isolated them in a chamber for 105 days and gave them like tasks as well as like emergency drill situations to simulate the like space travel to Mars, which is kind of kind of amazing to think about. Um, and then they did a bunch of a bunch of blood work before they went into this chamber, isolated just the six of them. I mean, it sounds really hard until you think about we've all basically been doing this during the pandemic. Um, but this was a much tighter, tighter situation, uh, smaller living quarters. Um, they uh, then did blood work on day 30, day 60 and at the end. And um, magnesium was one of the, the biggest differences. So it had the biggest drop in that first month in uh, the isolation chamber, um, but then it did continue to fall. And they were actually even, they looked at uh, serum magnesium as well as urinary excretion of magnesium, um, showing basically magnesium was being drained from the body, being used up. And then they also measured magnesium concentrations in hair at the end and showed that it decreased over that time as well. So the, those are, I mean, just a, a handful. There have been a variety of other studies. There was um, one study where they uh, exposed people to four hours of super loud noise, like replicating like factory machinery as an environmental stress, magnesium decreased. Um, it's been shown in numerous studies to be decreased in response to sleep deprivation stress as well as, well as physical stress, for example, running marathons. Um, so magnesium depletion during stress is not dependent on the type of stressor. So it can be a psychological stressor, but also a physical stressor or an environmental stressor. So there's a ton of evidence. And again, you know, point to episode 409, where we dedicated an entire episode to all of the amazing things that magnesium does. But what this, this little piece adds to that is that because magnesium is depleted during chronic stress, if we are under chronic stress, um, you know, that doesn't take away all of, all of the other things that we've talked about, getting enough sleep and mindful meditation are all strategies for reducing stress. But also note that our physiological need for magnesium is going to increase because if we don't increase our intake, our levels are going to be decreasing because we're burning through it basically through the stress response. That makes sense. And I know we went super, super deep into this on 409. So I am excited and ready to learn more about vitamin C, which um, is something that I've been focused on, especially this year, both for the immune benefits, but also because of the integration that it has with so many other things. I mean, we've, t mm -hmm. I've talked about vitamin C, um, on this show as it relates to even like, uh, chlorine absorption, right. We talked yeah. about, um, doing it 
um, as a preventative or post pool. Um, we've talked about vitamin C from a skin perspective in how mm-hmm. it synthesizes with collagen to um, have skin benefits. So I, vitamin C is one of those like powerhouse nutrients that I already know is special and I need a lot of. So <laughs> I'm excited for you to dive um, a little into the science on this aspect of it. Yeah, I think so. I think you are uh, very unique, Stacy, in that you recognize vitamin C's role as an enzyme cofactor. I think vitamin C is sort of better understood generally as an antioxidant. And it is like a super important antioxidant. Um, so it basically protects molecules in the body from damage from uh, what are called free radicals or reactive oxygen species. Um, so that's like a super important thing that it does. But it's actually its role as an enzyme cofactor that is why it can plug into sort of similar to magnesium into so many other systems. So for example, um, the enzymes that make collagen require vitamin C to function. The enzymes that make neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin require vitamin C to function. And here's a cool one. The enzymes in our adrenal glands that make cortisol and catecholamines like adrenaline require vitamin C to function. Um, and actually our adrenal glands store a ton of vitamin C, um, because that vitamin C is needed to produce all of the stress hormones, but also, um, when this is, this is the really important thing. So when we activate our HPA axis, we activate the fight or flight response, or maybe it's chronically activated because that lion never went away and it's just like sitting there staring at us creepily. Um, but when our adrenal glands are secreting stress hormones, it also secretes vitamin C. Um, so vitamin C is being secreted in addition to cortisol, adrenaline, um, noradrenaline, right? All of these different important catecholamines. And that is thought to have a neuroprotective effect. So one of the things about the HPA axis is when it's activated, especially when it's activated for a more protracted period of time, is that starts to interfere with uh, brain health. It starts to um, stimulate inflammation in the brain. We start messing around with neurotransmitters. Um, and that is why stress can lead to mental health disorders, right? And so vitamin C is thought to be neuroprotective. So that's why it's being, it's basically being released. Um, it's like taking, uh, you get put on a, a course of antibiotics and you start taking probiotics at the exact same time. It's like our body's natural way of going like, okay, this is a stressful situation. That line's really awful. Uh, we are no, we know we're throwing out all these hormones that are going to help us survive this situation, but we also know that uh, there's going to be some some potential damage done from all of these hormones. So we're going to throw out this vitamin C to help mitigate that damage um, and not make it as bad as it could be. And so there have been studies showing that that vitamin C can actually help protect against some of the uh, behavioral consequences of stress. Um, so that is actually a really, really cool thing about uh, our adrenal glands and where vitamin C um, sort of interfaces with the, with the stress response. Um, studies have shown basically that the longer our adrenal glands are pumping out stress hormones, the more vitamin C is depleted from them. Um, and so there's been a, a variety of studies that have basically shown like, oh, look, <laughs> we, we're basically using up vitamin C um, in order to, to facilitate 
the stress response. Um, and this actually might be part of the maladaptation to chronic stress. So we've talked about what is colloquially referred to as adrenal fatigue um, and more technically referred to as like chronic adrenal insufficiency, where chronic stress, like high levels of chronic stress for so long, eventually the adrenal glands just can't keep up. And they basically go like, I, I can't, I'm done guys. I need a break. I can't make this cortisol anymore. It's just, it's too much for me. And that actually causes problems because then the negative feedback loop isn't working at all. And corticotropin releasing hormone, which is produced by the pituitary gland by itself, like messes with gut health. You know, it has all of these. It's, it's not just cortisol is not the only bad thing in the stress response that is causing all of these, uh, long-term implications from chronic stress. So what might be causing this maladaptation where the adrenal glands basically get really tired is not enough vitamin C to be able to continue to produce corticotropin uh, or sort of uh, cortisol and the catecholamines. And so it, it may be that vitamin C is like a natural, almost like um, a, a way that the adrenal glands can kind of pump the brakes on the stress response. So, hey, we've, we've been secreting vitamin C along with these stress hormones. Um, again, something that would be potentially beneficial in the circumstance of the lion and not beneficial in the circumstance of like that chronic, unrelenting, just stress of modern life. I am like brain exploding emoji thinking about how smart our bodies are like I was I was going like deep into this black hole of like imagining what it would be like to be some sort of bioscientist looking into cell function and figuring all of this out like mm -hmm. how do we even know what's in our adrenal glands and what's being released like it's it's some sort of magic to me you know that this is knowledge that we have and that we're able to harness it this way and also how smart our bodies are like when you are explaining the fear and anxiety that come with chronic stress for example it makes so much sense that our bodies would then release something that was protective and helpful to that as far as like neurotransmitters and oxytocin mm -hmm. as trying to or I think you said uh, dopamine trying to kind of balance that on the other side right like that is our body's way of saying like Ooh, we recognize bad stuff. We're going to try to help you out, um, not just emotionally, but physically, hormonally with some good stuff. And that if we lived in an environment where we didn't have or did not take on chronic stress, let me put it that way, because you can sit in a traffic jam and you can be like, oh, great, I get to listen to a podcast. <laughs> or you can sit in a traffic jam and you can be like, ah! um. And I think the part of part of my life changes over the last couple of years is trying to become more of the former and less of the latter because yeah. of how it can affect our health. And so I'm just thinking about like, this isn't just things that I'm doing. My, my body is also working towards that. And um, I think that's really cool. And also I'm like patting myself on the back for regularly focusing on vitamin C. I also find myself craving vitamin C when I'm feeling particularly stressed. Like oranges are just something yep. that my body is like, oh, you want that. You need that. Like I have maybe a dozen foods that my body will be like, and now, you know, like this is I, the thing you want. 
actually had the conversation with my 11 year old yesterday. Um, she was, she, she's taken on a lot of projects outside of school and they happened to like all be due at the same time. And that was just poor planning. Um, but she's been doing a really good job with the time management. She's getting everything done, but she's feel, she's feeling, she's feeling it right. She's feeling that sort of schedule anxiety. And we had this whole conversation about a really good choice when you're feeling stressed is to go have an orange. And it is because of this vitamin C aspect, um, that can be like so important for regulating that stress response, which we're going to talk about again in a bit because, um, spoiler alert, vitamin C is on both sides of the equation, which is, uh, I know everyone's like mind is blown, but just like hold on to the, uh, brain exploding emoji because you're going to need it again later. Let's finish with our nutrients that are just depleted because of the stress response. Okay. All right. I'm ready. So, uh, zinc, uh, which approximately 73% of Americans don't get enough of, um, is actually the second most abundant metal in the body after iron. Um, and different than magnesium, but kind of on the same order of magnitude, also a cofactor for approximately 300 different enzymes. Um, and so because of that, it's like involved in everything, um, especially things like protein and carbohydrate metabolism, uh, cell growth and division. Um, and it's actually really important for controlling gene expression and the communication within cells. Um, so how a cell um, can just can detect right what's in my environment and decide to to do something in response to it. It's required for the production of proteins, kind of an important thing. Um, it's also really important for B vitamin absorption and activity. Um, it's important for the production of insulin and testosterone. It's critical for a healthy immune system, also important for collagen formation. Um, it's also actually, it helps maintain sensory organs, which is why zinc deficiency is associated with loss of smell and taste, which is fascinating. Um, and it's also an essential component of the vitamin D receptor. So uh, while like more science needs to understand how zinc deficiency impacts of how vitamin D is used in the body. Um, there are some indications that you can have enough vitamin D and have symptoms of vitamin D deficiency because you don't have enough zinc to form enough vitamin D receptors, which is also kind of cray cray. I'm so still back at 78% of us are zinc deficient. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's, I'm, I'm back at that. Um, <laughs> I know we've talked about zinc on the show before, um, but I feel like this is a good opportunity to just like remind people like prioritize foods with zinc in them. They're, they're <laughs> harder to find, but maybe just I am personally, I told you I was going to have takeaways from this show. I'm going to go look back at the list that we've previously provided of foods that are high in zinc and find two to just make sure I have all the time because 73% is a, that's, that's a lot of percent of people who are going to need more. Yeah. I mean, basically zinc is, is rich in the foods that are the like lowest consumption in the modern food supply, like seafood, especially shellfish and organ meat. Um, and actually you can get a good amount of zinc from some nuts and seeds as well, but like it's, it's the, um, how little shellfish we eat on average. It's something like eight pounds a year compared to like 
200 pounds of meat um, is sort of like the average American intake. Um, so we, we can do better. We can do better on the, on the fish and shellfish. That's for sure. Um, so there have been actually quite a few animal studies showing that chronic stress decreases um, serum zinc concentrations and some zinc in like tissue specific storage, especially in the hippocampus. We didn't mention the hippocampus when we talked about the HPA axis, but the hippocampus is the area of the brain that kind of like assimilates information and makes decisions. And so the hypothalamus actually gets its orders from the hippocampus. So the hippocampus goes, huh, okay, like furry, sharp teeth, kind of growling in a menacing way. Oh, lion. And then it tells the hypothalamus like a uh, lion and the hypothalamus goes activate stress response. And that's how the brain works. Um, that felt like it got cartoon level pretty quickly, but <laughs> anyways, <laughs> um, so there's been a whole pile of animal studies and then not very many human studies to confirm, but generally, um, there have been a few of them. There was, um, a study done in 1991. Again, I mentioned off the top, like, it's, it's really interesting how, um, how many of these studies are sort of really well constructed, but older studies. Um, so this one looked at Navy SEAL trainees during uh, something called Hell Week, which was not something that I knew much about, um, but it sounds pretty awful. Um, so it's a five-day period of sustained physical and psychological stress. And their plasma zinc levels were down by 33%. Uh, between before, right before Hell Week and after five days of Hell Week and like seven days of recovery afterwards back to normal. So it was a pretty like steep decline in, in zinc. Um, there've been similar studies measuring zinc in, um, released, um, prisoners of war, which is, uh, really disconcerting for me to, to think about these types of studies. Um, older studies again. Um, and then there's been actually a fairly large body of literature looking at physical stress and, and zinc. So looking at things like endurance sport training, there was actually, there's actually enough data there that there was a 2017 meta-analysis that basically pooled all of the data from all of those studies and showed that zinc, uh, serum zinc concentrations decrease significantly during exercise. Um, and that immediate recovery period compared to pre-exercise. And there've been a couple of studies that showed that if you, um, for example, take, um, volunteers that are untrained and put them through like a six week boot camp, their zinc will continue to go down until they start having their physical fitness, um, sort of catch up to the level of training, in which case it's no longer as high a magnitude physical stress. And then their zinc will start to recover. Um, so again, you know, the body doesn't really tell the difference between, physical stress, chemical stress, environmental stress, psychological stress. However, there's some always a little extra, right? With physical stress, there's a little extra something happening there because you're, um, you know, directly stimulating the muscles to uh, repair, right? So there's a little, it's not, exercise is not just a physical stress, right? There's other, other processes happening. I like the idea that you said organ meats for zinc because that, that tells me although I haven't had my levels measured. That's me smacking my hand because we're not medical professionals and we want you to work with one. Um, it's been a while. 
but I will say too, the other thing that I like about organ meats is that I am also getting some absorbable iron. I know that it's not super high, but it is like a good form of it mm-hmm. um, in that whole food organ um, supplement that I'm taking. So iron is another one that people are depleting, correct? Yeah. So um, iron uh, is the number one metal in the human body. Um, so it's the one that's higher than zinc. And it is basically, it's like the middle of um, a molecule called heme. Uh, form heme molecules come together to form the hemoglobin protein. Um, so it's part of like, that is, it's the iron itself that binds to oxygen and transports oxygen throughout our whole body our whole body. So like, it's super, super important. Um, but heme is also the foundational molecule for, um, this entire family of proteins called the cytochrome, cytochrome P450 super family of enzymes, um, which are all involved in protection from oxidative damage. Um, I used to study a member of the cytochrome P450 super family for my PhD. So I feel, I feel, I feel bonded, (laughs) bonded to these enzymes. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's, um, it heme, like iron basically through being the, the center of a heme molecule, um, is involved in a ton of different functions in the human body. Um, but especially, uh, oxidative damage. And also it's, it's the cytochrome P450 superfamily has a lot of roles in, uh, reaction to, um, heat shock, um, so fever or uh, hyperthermia, as well as inflammation. So there's there's uh, a nice a nice again sort of diversity of functions. Iron's also required to metabolize B vitamins. Um, it's also important in protein metabolism. So it's it's got a a bunch of roles that aren't just like in red blood cells. Um, and so studies have shown that certainly animal studies have have shown very well that chronic stress decreases uh, serum iron concentrations as well as hemoglobin, as well as uh, a marker called ferritin, um, which is both a marker of the amount of iron in your body, but it can also be a marker of inflammation. So it's it's not a perfect marker for just iron, um, as well as whole blood iron concentration. So they just like take a blood sample and like blend it up and see how much iron's in it. So it's how much iron is between your red blood cells as well as in it. Um, again, not a ton of human studies. Um, that same Navy St- SEAL Hell Week study showed that iron concentrations decreased uh, by 44% and ferritin decreased by 59% in those five days. Craziness. Um, there uh, was a 2018 study that looked at maternal perceived stress during pregnancy and showed not only a risk for um iron depletion in the mom, but also low iron in the baby, even one year later, um, because of a depletion of iron storage from that stress. Um, there, uh, was a 1990 study looking at, uh, this was another one of those. They took, uh, untrained, you know, people who were, didn't, didn't work out at all, uh, young men and gave them six weeks of hard two hour workouts, four days a week. And uh, their iron uh, went very low. Um, But studies in trained athletes show that sort of similar to zinc, that there is an adaptation. So it is when that workout is um, in relation to your level of physical fitness, when that workout is 
really, really hard or really long, and it is a physical stress, um, then that's depleting these minerals when you are working out at a more appropriate level for your level of physical fitness, then it's no longer depleting. Like then, then it's no longer a physical stress in the same way. And the last mineral that is depleted during stress is actually calcium. And this is another one. I was actually surprised that 73% of Americans are also not getting enough calcium. Um, that which totally seems blows like my a, mind. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a lot to me when you think about um, like got milk ads, you know what I mean? Like, surely, uh, I guess it go, just goes to show um, milk is not that great a source of calcium. <laughs> yes. And also, I don't know very many adults who are drinking like glasses of milk, you know? I mean, I'm not, but that's because I get a no, migraine I'm, in 10 minutes. <laughs> I know, but I'm saying if you're pointing to that commercial, you know, I think yeah. when I think of the people in my life who are consuming dairy, it's like, Mostly in the form of ice cream and cheese, which is not sufficient quantities for nutrient sufficiency. <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, yeah, I people are often surprised to hear how much calcium there is in almonds and veggies, mm-hmm. and that's those are our favorite sources of calcium, at least. Um, and I'm proud to report that after over ten years doing a milk-free home with kids because when we first took this on that was kind of the big deal right is that we were changing our diet with kids and I'm not to say that we know everything in science and blah 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 but um, I have three very rough and tumble boys who have not grown up on glasses and glasses of milk and we've only had two minor bone incidents and both times they've had x-rays the doctors have said they have excellent bones um and I was holding my breath each time like what are you gonna tell me you know but um yeah so anyway okay tell tell us all about calcium all right so as you mentioned calcium is like a major mineral in bones and teeth um it's also important for neurotransmitter release and for muscle contraction so um including heart beating. So it's one of those really important electrolytes that's important for nerves firing, for muscles contracting, for basically electronic, electronic, it's not electronic, electrical, that's a different word, electrical signals throughout the body. Um, that makes a lot more sense. Um, so it is, um, it is a really important mineral. And what's interesting is our bodies, if we're not getting enough of it, will use the calcium in our bones. So the amount of calcium in our blood is very, very tightly regulated. Um, it's regulated by vitamin K and vitamin D. And so, um, uh, and so if we're, if we need it for something, um, our parathyroid hormone is actually the hormone that'll do it. We'll actually like borrow some calcium from our bones and like really hope that we can, you know, pay back that deposit, uh, with some, uh, calcium from, from diet later. Um, but there have been studies that have shown, um, actually in this case, there's stronger human data than animal studies for calcium, um, but also showing um, that calcium will go down. It'll still stay in that normal range. And that's one of, it's one of those things that it's really, really hard to drive calcium outside of the normal range. There has to be something pretty, pretty icky going on in terms of hormones, um, for calcium to go outside of that normal range, but it'll like go right down to the bottom of the range. So there've been studies, um, again, that 2000 study where they looked at people who lived in politically turbulent areas and compared them to, um, 
controls, uh, matched controls who did not, um, they had significantly lower plasma calcium concentrations. And in that Mars simulation study, calcium, serum calcium decreased by 16% um, from baseline. Um, it continued to go down until day 75, and then it kind of stabilized at a lower level. Um, so that's another thing, right? It's like eventually um, our parathyroid hormone will go like, oh, this isn't cool, and start borrowing that calcium from our bones to maintain our serum levels. So it's not something that can, uh, if you're just measuring from a blood test, it's not. It, there is like a, a floor, but what that floor means is higher demineralization of bones. Um, studies in adults like this would have to show, they, like they have to be um, in like teenagers where studies have looked at bone demineralization and how that impacts bone health with their higher rate of bone turnover. It takes about five years um, to start to measure reduced bone mineral density. In adults, it's probably more like 10 to 20 years. Um, so it's really, really hard to say chronic stress. I mean, there are separate studies that show chronic stress does increase risk of osteoporosis later in life. This is probably one of the mechanisms, um, but obviously not all of it because vitamin C important for collagen. Collagen's the main protein in bone, right? Magnesium is also in bone. Like you can sort of see this sort of thematic, like, oh yeah, chronic stress would definitely be not cool for my bones over a long period of time. Not cool is um, the scientific definition, correct? Yes. Yes. That is the technical term. Okay. Is there one more? Are we wrapping up There's here? One more. We got to move more. on. Uh, the last one is niacin, vitamin B3, um, which only about 24% of us don't get enough of. Um, that's in large part because of fortified foods. Um, but niacin is part of the B complex. Um, so that means it's used for all cellular metabolism in our mitochondria. Um, it's really important for um, how our bodies make energy, but also how we use all macronutrients, so the metabolism of fat, protein, and carbohydrates. Um, and it's also really important for what are called oxidation reduction reactions. So um, this is actually what's what B3 is doing inside of the mitochondria, where the mitochondria are like making these high electron molecules called ATP. Um, it's also important for the production of things like cholesterol, um, L-carnitine, um, it's, um, important for making, uh, sex hormones and here's the cool thing. It's important for making the stress hormones. Um, so that's, that's, that's why it's being depleted when we're under chronic stress. Um, so there have not been a ton of studies looking at this. Like we understand that it's important for making, um, you know, cortisol and, um, catecholamines, but how is it depleted in the study of chronic stress? Um, but there was one study where they compared uh, cold exposure as a physical structure, a physical stressor, a math, you know, having to do math, a calculation exercise as a mental stressor, and then uh, you're just stuck in a dark room as an emotional stressor and looked at how metabolism or how niacin was metabolized in uh, women. And they showed um, basically that the cold exposure was the biggest difference, um, and then there was not a huge a huge change to how our, our bodies were using um, niacin with the other types of stressors. Um, Maybe but that's because this... people were enjoying doing math. I find issue with the mm -hmm. fact that they gave calculation exercise as a stressor because 
maybe that's something that some people who, you know, don't identify as geeky or nerdy, but probably are, enjoy doing. Maybe. Just, I mean, I'm saying. I... Sudoku, for example, is something yeah. that a lot of people enjoy. And that is a calculation. I yes. think you have found the flaw in that study. A hundred percent. I'm totally. going to write them. I love math. I do math for fun. For sure. <laughs> okay. But I just want to sort of point out, I'm noticing, and again, I'm, not, I'm we're not medical professionals. Can't give you advice. But I'm noticing that- You're, An um, organ meat theme? You're noticing an organ meat theme? An organ meat theme, vitamin C and magnesium. Those are the three, mm-hmm. plus a probiotic. Um those, those are the three that I've been consistently taking for a very long time. Kind of got got me covered here. So mm-hmm. what about what about things that um, are on the other side of that coin, right? Like that would yeah. make the stress worse if I didn't have them. Is that the other side of the coin? That's the other <laughs> side of the coin. So, um, so we started with nutrients that if you're under stress, your body burns through them. So stress basically increases your like recommended neat daily value is basically what's happening, right? So if you're under chronic stress, you need more because you're going to burn through them. But there's a couple of nutrients that we know that if you are deficient to start with and then exposed to stress, that it will magnify the stress response. Um, So there's two of them. So the first one is uh, omega-3 fats. And actually in this case, it's DHA and not EPA or ALA. So, um, So this is interestingly the hardest uh, long chain omega-3 fat to get. So when you consume fish or fish oil, depending on the fish, it tends to have much higher levels of EPA compared to DHA. So that is something to to look at. Um, So there've been studies basically showing that um, being, having low levels of uh, DHA basically causes by itself, like it's probably triggered by because uh, you can't put somebody in a stress-free environment that doesn't that doesn't exist, um, so it's probably triggered by other stressors. But it basically creates um, HPA axis dysregulation, which is the the pathway to adrenal fatigue. Um, and actually, studies on the other side have shown that supplementing with DHA has an adaptogenic effect on stress. So it basically helps to reduce the um, physiological response to a perceived stressor. So, um, they basically, you know, it's, it's, if you don't have enough, your stress response is going to be magnified and you can supplement with it to help basically regulate that stress response. Um, and we actually talked about, we did a whole episode on fish oil and why, um, quality is super, super important when it comes to fish oil. That's episode 415. Um, and I actually looked up because that episode, we recommend Rosita cod liver oil. Um, it actually is a very good source of DHA compared to EPA and compared to other fish oils. So that is another episode to go back and listen to, but we've come all the way around back to vitamin C. I'm shocked. I'm, I'm just, oh, I fainted. Um, which again is why um, why it was so important for us to ask Paleo Valley to sponsor this show, um, because vitamin C is the nutrient that is on both sides of this stress equation. So the link between vitamin C and stress is a two-way street. So we've already talked about how vitamin C is needed to make stress hormones, but then how the adrenal glands basically secrete vitamin C as probably a neuroprotective agent. 
when they're releasing all of their stress hormones, when the HPA axis is activated. Um, but there have been um, a huge variety of studies, like going back to the 40s, um, that look at vitamin C deficiency and how that magnifies the stress response. So there've been studies, for example, in um, vitamin C deficient guinea pigs. Um, and guinea pigs are, are pretty sensitive little, little rodents, but they just like hyper secrete cortisol. It's like, all you have to do to them is deplete them of vitamin C and then they just start <laughs> the visual making... that you're giving. It's, I'm sorry. I, I had a pet guinea pig. He was just, he just shook all the time. It's just, <laughs> I was just terrified at all time. Why are they chosen to put in every kindergarten classroom across this country? Those poor little creatures. Hopefully they're getting more vitamin C than they did in this study. Um, there have been um, studies in rats showing that um, depleting vitamin C magnifies the cortisol response and then adding more vitamin C blunts it. Um, and like equivalent, the equivalent dose, if you look at milligrams per kilogram is probably like two to three grams a day, which is a very large dose. Um, but there's, there it's again, sort of building this, building this, uh, picture of vitamin C as a gate, um, for the stress response. So, um, there've been studies in humans as well showing that supplementation with vitamin C decreases the cortisol response after either a psychological or a physical stressor. Um, they've done things like treat, you know, and like randomized control trials with crossover designs that are double, double blind, really well designed um, trials. And I should mention lots of links to the original studies in the show notes this week, um, where they um, treated people with, again, it was like 3,000 milligrams or three grams daily um, divided into three 1,000 milligram doses um, in these people and showed uh, that it regulated not just things like cortisol, but also and how the person felt. Um, So a subjective measure of stress, um, but other things that can be measured like blood pressure and heart rate um, are all things that you can sort of measure. <laughs> they tend to go up when we're under stress. And when we're calmed down, our heart rate and blood pressure tend to go back down again. Um, and actually vitamin C is super, or vitamin C deficiency rather, is actually widely as- associated with stress-related disorders. There's a ton of data showing that vitamin C deficiency increases risk of depression and anxiety. Um, and actually there's there's been, the mechanism is confirmed that vitamin C deficiency leads to decreased serotonin, um, which is, you know, when you think about uh, serotonin reuptake inhibitors are all about like preserving serotonin signaling. That's what uh, that class of antidepressants does. Um, So there's actually um, this really strong link between vitamin C and not just uh, the stress response, but also the maladaptations to stress. Um, there was a 2015 study that um, looked at high school students with anxiety and gave them uh, just 500 milligrams of vitamin C daily, and they had reduced perceived stress as well as reduced heart rate. There was a crazy 1975 study done in healthy children. I do not know who volunteered their kids for this study, but they gave these kids um, a uh, ACTH, which is the hormone produced by the 
uh, hypothalamus that triggers the HPA axis and showed that that increased their cortisol levels. And then they also gave them vitamin C, um, three grams a day for five days. And that blunted the cortisol response. I just, I don't, the study's kind of crazy. Um, uh, there was a similar study in 1990 um, that was done in cancer patients undergoing surgery, um, and they had their cortisol levels. Um, they didn't give them ACTH. They measured their ACTH and their cortisol levels and had them uh, return to normal um, with three grams a day for five days. So the stress in that case was uh, cancer and uh, upcoming surgery. Um, there's was a actually there's been enough different studies in this, um, that there was a 2020, uh, systematic review, um, showing vitamin C deficiency is completely correlated to, um, the maladaptations to stress. So mood effects, cognitive effects, it's associated with depression. Um, it's, um, and actually cognitive impairments are, um, associated with scurvy, but these studies show that, um, it doesn't, it, just a little bit of vitamin C deficiency can cause um, problems with cognition. And that the other side of the coin um, is true as well. So there's a 2019 study where they gave people vitamin C um, and they some had food, some had supplement, and basically showed that higher vitamin C levels increased cognition on average. So vitamin C... Um, both mitigates the stress response. So if you have enough vitamin C, your stress response will be more proportional to the stressor and vitamin C is burned up with stress. So you can really see how quickly you could get like a snowball of badness effect if you have low vitamin C to begin with, and then you are under a stressful situation, then your stress response will be magnified, which makes you burn through the stress. And if that stressor is chronic, then you're going to zap through all of your vitamin C really, really quickly. And then you can see how, how beneficial a focus on vitamin C can be for regulating that stress response because you go straight, you're getting your neuroprotective effects, you're helping to regulate your neurotransmitters. Um, and then you're also providing the vitamin C that your HPA access needs in order to have a proportional response. So you can really see where vitamin C is like this linchpin holding this entire system together. I think the quote for this episode is snowball of badness made better <laughs> by vitamin C. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate all of this incredible science. And all, of course, if you want to see any of the references and studies that Sarah has used or like didn't catch a reference to a prior show because we're basically throwing a lot at you and saying, okay, we, we talked about this, this, and this before. So if you want to dive deeper into something like magnesium, all of those are linked in the show notes. We're going to be doing our, what we really thought about this over on Patreon after, if you're not already subscribed to get those, you can pop over to hear more, but I do want to thank Paleo Valley for sponsoring this show. Um, for me personally, one of the things that I've recently come to find out about vitamin C, and I found this in the um, collagen we no longer reference that started adding vitamin C, as well as in a lot of um, skin food products, is that the vitamin C is being sourced from corn. And I know you mentioned that at the top of the show, um, but I just really encourage you, especially if you are someone who is trying to avoid corn because it irritates you. For me personally, 
I don't do well with corn. Um, and so realizing that a lot of the vitamin C products that I was using are using um, a source of something that irritates and then I'm like intentionally consuming that. I was like, this is this is not congruent to my goal. <laughs> like, this is not helping me. Um, finding a source that is using not just um, whole food, not just like quality stuff, but is also whole food, which means that it's synthetic is um, something that I was really excited to find. So I thank Paleo Valley for being willing to sponsor the show. And as you listeners know, we always only talk about or partner with brands that we personally use and love and feel confident in recommending. So um, if you want to check them out, I also, as I mentioned, really enjoy the organ complex. Um, And you can, and I know Sarah um, and I both do the bone broth powder as well, but that might be sold out because so many of you are also loving it. Um, You can check all those things out at paleovalley.com slash the whole view. And while we're also talking about things that we love, their meat sticks are crazy good. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, uh, and their turkey sticks are AIP uh, AIP as well. I'm one of those people that always try, like if I'm going to buy from a place, I'm like, okay, let me get all the things so that I don't have to have like multiple shipments, multiple orders. Like I'm just, I don't know. I'm, a little bit of like a food hoarder. Like I'd rather just place a large uh, order and not have to order well. multiple times over three months or whatever, you know, what were you saying? Yeah. Sarah? yeah. I was gonna say, no, I, I also, uh, am, have a, I've, I credit my food hoarding, uh, tendency to, um, having mostly recovered from binge eating disorder. And I feel like hoarding food is like the leftover behavior from that. Um, <laughs> like it's there, you're not doing it, but it's there for you emotionally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so no, uh, let's, let's just end with like a final, um, why the Paleo Valley essential seed complex is so different. Cause it's not just like synthetic versus food derived, you know, corn versus whole foods, but this, um, the fact that it is these superfoods that are super, they're not just super rich in vitamin C, they're super rich in phytonutrients. There's been a ton of studies, like going back to the first, first study looking at this was in 1948, um, showing that, um, you can increase the amount of vitamin C being absorbed and used in the body again, anywhere from, uh, you know, studies go anywhere from like a 35% effect to an eight fold effect. It's anywhere in that range, um, by having your vitamin C delivered in this like phytonutrient rich package, which is why the, the Paleo Valley essential C complex is so different from any other vitamin C supplement that I've seen because it just focusing on foods, it's not just vitamin C. It is all the vitamins and minerals that those, um, super fruits have and, um, increasing the, the vitamin C, um, utilization and absorption is what makes that so important. There was a, I mean, this has been done over and over again. So there was like a really good 1983 um, study that showed it was about 2.5 times um, higher um, absorption um, um, from food sources. They were con- comparing citrus fruit to synthetic vitamin C again in those poor, those poor, poor guinea pigs. Um, studies have looked at other different phytonutrients. They've looked at um, bioflavonoids from kiwi. They've looked at um, quercetin and catechin and, uh, you know, flavonoids in general. Flavonoids seem to be like the magic class of um, polyphenols that are really, really important for vitamin C absorption. Um, and certainly we can't say what the exact factor is for the 
Paley Valley um, Central Sea Complex because that hasn't actually been studied. Um, although I would I would super nerd out over that study, so I hope somebody will do it someday. Um, but we know that the um, phytonutrients in those fruits align with the phytonutrients that have been shown to dramatically increase vitamin C bioavailability. So we we can say with at least a a pretty high degree of certainty that it is much more effective vitamin C than you will get from a synthetic GMO corn derived supplement. So I, um, I'm really impressed with the thought that went into the Paleo Valley essential seed complex, like I am (laughs) with all of their products, but, um, that's why they are such a good fit for this show as a sponsor. Um, so I want to thank Paleo Valley for sponsoring the show and say the name of that link one more time, paleovalley.com slash the whole view. Thanks so much for listening to the show and we'll be back again next week. Do you love the whole view podcast? We'd love for you to leave us a review wherever you listen and share a podcast with your friends and family. And did you know that you can now get exclusive behind the scenes content on Patreon? For less than the price of an almond milk matcha a month, your Patreon membership supports us and gets you access to a monthly bonus episode. But not for kids' ears, because our bonus content is explicit. You can find us as The Whole View on Patreon for our real, unfiltered thoughts on this week's episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.